Welcome to the Active Listening Podcast. I'm your host, Arianna, and I have the great pleasure of unearthing the stories and thoughts of others. Today we get to hear from Scott, my husband. The biggest thing on everyone's minds right now, or should be, is this virus that is sweeping the world. In light of all that is happening, we thought it would be prudent to record an episode that provides insight and hope. History is being made, and this is not something that's easy to go through. I don't know about you, but my brain is on overdrive with all the new information constantly being thrown at me. I can only imagine how others feel. And Scott is one of those others. So today, Scott is joining me to help shed light on the topic. He has spent countless hours and many sleepless nights thinking and worrying about this issue, and he'd like to share some of his thoughts with you. And before we begin, I just want to remind you that we may not always share the same viewpoints or opinions as our guests, but our desire is for people to feel safe to join us at the table and on this journey of life together. We may not come to the same conclusions on everything Scott has, and you may not either, but at least we can come together and bridge the divide with grace. My desire is to share perspectives and stories with others while encouraging you to think for yourself and stir up good conversations. And while we're at it, may we continue to love well. So please listen in as we talk about church and crisis. So Scott, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, we have had many, many conversations about this and it's now here. The coronavirus is in North America, Kitchener, Ontario. Ah, finally. It feels like it's been months since we've been talking about this. It hasn't been quite that long, but it's been quite a while. So it's weird that it's finally here. Yeah. Toilet paper is basically flying off the shelves. People are in super panic mode. Yikes. Yeah. The toilet paper one's fun for me because it's like people in a crisis are going to panic about something. And to me, it's like this weird thing about toilet paper is this easy it's this easy thing to latch onto, but it's also an easy way for us to villainize in some ways the other, where it's like somebody out there is just hoarding toilet paper, and how dare they? I mean, it's a way for us to feel a bit superior in some ways about that. Our response is, you know, more measured and more thinking about others. But uh, the good thing about uh, toilet paper as well is that um, it is a necessity, but it's not like we can still function without it. Uh, I much prefer a run on toilet paper over a run on um, certain types of medicine or certain types of food that people need. So in some ways, this is actually the best case scenario. Right, because then those things are still available for the people who need it. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So what has been your thought process leading up to this point? Why did you decide, okay, I need to say something. I need to do something about this. Can I be on your podcast, please? (laughs) Why did you decide to do that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of misinformation going around and a lot of this type of thing catches everyone by surprise. Um, that's one of the natures of, of a pandemic is that you're dealing with exponential math, which uh, if you don't know is, think of it as kind of like a curve, right? So you take a graph and it's like for a long time, it's very flat and all of a sudden it shoots up. Just think of if you've seen the world population or other things like that, that sort of thing. Uh, and a virus is the same where suddenly it just feels like you know, why is everything closing now all of a sudden at once? Why is the news just inundated? Um, and so for many of us, it's like, where did this come from? And we have no idea how to respond or what that all means. Um, I've, been, I've been following this since the beginning of January where there was an outbreak announced in Wuhan, as we know. 
Um, just because, I mean, I'm one of those weird people that likes reading everything they find. Um, it, at first, uh, I was, we've been through a few pandemics recently in the last 10 years. Uh, Ebola, Zika, uh, H1N1. We've also been through SARS earlier than that. Um, so I wasn't too concerned initially because it didn't seem like the numbers were going to take off. Um, but within a few weeks, it was very obvious that this was going to get really bad really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very concerned because it didn't seem like we suddenly were taking it seriously. There, there's, there's this tendency for us, I think, in North America to assume that everything is just going to be fine no matter what. And in some ways, that's been an okay situation because we haven't really been affected by too many things that's, that are happened in the world. Um, so we're used to, you know, we read the news, we talk about politics, we talk about other issues. Um, we talk about these things as if they're never going to affect us. All right. We feel invincible, so to speak. Very much so. Yeah. And one of the challenges that I was seeing with this virus is that it was coming to our shores really, really fast within, well, now obviously we know in uh, weeks. Um, but I was afraid that that tendency would um, continue and that we'd just assume that if we can't feel, if we can't see something, uh, it's not really there. Mm-hmm. So I, I was a bit concerned earlier, especially the last week or two, where there was um, not a lot of response. And so it, the events of the last couple of days um, have actually given me quite a bit of hope. Um because before then it was, I, I have this uncanny and annoying ability to live a little bit in the future. Um, of course, we don't know the future. Um, but I'm always processing all the different directions that things can go. Um, and I didn't like a lot of the scenarios that were coming up. And so I, it was a little bit concerning to me. But now uh, that we're taking this seriously, um, a lot of people are slipping into fear and panic mode. And for me, it's actually the reverse, where I'm actually getting more hopeful by the day. Right. Cause you kind of dove into the fear mode earlier than everybody else. Cause you kind of live in that space because of your eye to the future a little bit more than other people maybe would, um, as a way of protecting yourself and protecting your family. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the fear thing is really interesting to me because I mean, I live most people live with some sort of fear that they either push down or hide away about something. And for me, uh, my fear is always in the future and it's always on a global scale. Um, so the number of different issues that have come up. So something like this fits into that really easily where you have a, you know, a fear of a global pandemic, a fear of um, social unrest and other things that spin off of that. So how have you fought against that fear? How have you dealt with the fear that this virus, this pandemic presents? To me, fear, we we tend to give fear a little bit of a bad rap, especially in faith circles where we talk about how fear is in many ways the enemy. And again, in North America, we're so used to nothing going wrong on a big scale that we actually recognize now that fear when, when the crisis happens, fear is actually the bad guy. Fear is the enemy. And if we get rid of fear, then we win and we triumph over whatever it is. Um, but in many parts of the world, fear is actually very important. Mm-hmm. Um, 
throughout history and even now today where people, when a crisis hits fear, if you put away fear, you end up dying or making bad decisions. Well, it's a survival instinct. Correct. And so in many ways, I believe that fear is a, can be a gift. A lot like, I consider it a lot like anger, where it can be used incorrectly. Uh, but to say that all anger is bad, I wouldn't agree with. And fear is exactly the same way. Uh, so in a situation like this, fear, a little bit of fear is a great motivator to mm-hmm. think, to imagine, to look out and say, okay, what if this could happen? And it prompts you to do something. Well, yeah, because I know for me, we've talked about this a bunch already, but I know for me that I was scared to even really touch this topic because, well, for one, it felt very far away and it's kind of surreal, like that's not going to happen. There's not going to be some crazy virus that's going to take over the world. Like, what? And then I saw how much it meant to you and I saw how much you were wrestling with it and the fear and the anxiety that that was bringing up for you and then I realized, okay, wait, I have to I have to face this fear in order to better help the people in my world, mm-hmm. in order to be able to function to my full capacity. I actually have to go through this fear and not be afraid of fear. <laughs> exactly. In many ways, it's like we have to realize that when we try to clamp down on fear, put it away, um, in some ways we're actually being really selfish because a lot of times in a situation like where we're at, um, we need to go and we need to see the truth for what it is. We need to see the truth that our lives are going to be upended for an indeterminate amount of time, um, that we're going to have to change our lifestyle, at least temporarily, potentially permanently in some ways, um, that we're going to have to adjust the way that we look at even some concepts of faith And once we step through that fear, it turns into something else. It turns into hope and it turns into solidarity and a little bit of stoicism where, you know, this is happening. This is happening for real. And then it turns into getting past my own fear so that I can assist others, Mm -hmm. especially for those of us who can see things a bit clearer, but also in the faith community, it's, it's our responsibility to deal with this first so that then we can come and help alongside others who don't have any way of dealing with the fear at all that comes. Right. So then how do you think that we can be gracious towards others who deal with their fear in ways that are different than us that we maybe don't fully understand? Because I know that you were very kind to me, but you also pushed me to process things that I wasn't necessarily ready for, but At least I didn't think I was, but you knew that I was because you know me. So how can we, yeah, how can we love others and help them through the the fear of what this presents? Yeah, I wouldn't consider myself to be an expert anyway um, on this. One One of the challenges is that we all respond differently in a crisis. Um, Some of us just get down to work. Some of us think long and hard and so in order to be gracious to one another we have to give each other the space to process in our own way but the challenge as well is that there's a reality of what's coming and what is already here that sometimes doesn't give people the time they need to process Mm. through stuff yeah that's the challenge and so it's a real balancing act of making sure that people 
know what's happening for real, not couching it, but then allowing them to then say, okay, what next? And helping people to then find their place in that. So is it less about helping other people through their fear? And like for you, you've, you've gone through that already. For me, I've, I'm in a process of going through that. I feel like I am in a good place of that right now. Is it less about the other people's fear and more about, okay, how do I help? Just how do I practically help you? Um, not so much because like when you feel like you're in a safe place, then you are better able to help others. Like not that we're safe now, but like that feeling of I'm, I'm safe because I, I know the numbers. I know where this is going. I've seen the future, quote unquote. I've mapped it out. Um, I think safety, looking for safety is potentially where it can go wrong, actually. Mm. Um, if you look at stories of heroic efforts throughout history, they didn't come from a place of safety. They came from a place of like acceptance, mm. where it's here is where I'm at. And this is way, the way the world is at this particular moment. And I'm going to lean into courage. And I'm going to lean into acceptance of what's happening. And I'm just going to be the person that I know that I am on the inside. So it's not about overcoming the fear. I don't think so it's at all. Learning to live with it. In many ways, that's exactly right. Um, allowing it to push you to be more of you in mm. the situation. Yeah. So, yeah, because I'm afraid that if, and there's a fear thing again, <laughs> if we put our head in the sand and retreat from fear, because in a, in, in a reality of a situation like this, you can either um, try to hide your fear, and so you go off grid, whether it's like off the internet, you go off, you don't listen to the news, you don't listen to the people around you, and you kind of isolate yourself, at least mentally, then there's a decent chance that reality will come to your doorstep anyways. And it'll be even more shocking. Correct. Now, you and I were um, watching something, and one of the quotes we heard was, um, if only ignorance was the best form of defense against danger. Um, unfortunately, at this point, ignorance is not going to save us. Well, what is going to save us is all of us coming together facing what's happening, looking at the reality of it, and then saying, hey, how and what do we do about this? Mm -hmm. Maybe expand a little bit more on why is it important for us to actually socially distance ourselves from each other because we say, well, we can't have our kids going to school. We say we can't be going to church. We say all sports are canceled. Why? Why is this such a big deal? So, so social distancing, what is it? It's essentially the whole goal of social distancing is to mitigate the spread of a virus. Uh, without social distancing, what you have is at this point, our, the virus is a, think of it as every person will infect two to three others. Uh, and if you do, if you know math uh, or you are part of a pyramid scheme, you'll notice that that quickly gets out of hand really fast. Uh, in fact, if I do the math correctly, I believe that if that happens, uh, all of Canada, every single person in Canada is infected uh, within 
I think three weeks. I could be wrong in that. I don't have the math on me. Obviously, that doesn't happen in real life, but it's close. And so you'll see a lot of countries without social distancing, uh, the cases just suddenly jump up dramatically. And with a virus like this, you have um, a around 2% fatality rate, which means two out of every 100 people will die. Now, that rate is mostly skewed at this point towards elderly, so 70 plus, um, which means that we don't all feel like we're scared of this thing. Um, and that's that's fine. But there are some other challenging statistics that come with this virus, and that is 60% of people don't have any symptoms really at all, or they have mild symptoms. Now, it doesn't sound like a scary statistic, but that means 40% of people do have symptoms and problematic ones and you have around 10 to 15 percent of people um, and sometimes a bit more in some countries where these people need to be hospitalized so if you do the math if you do the math canada has 36 odd million people in the country and you take 10 to 15 percent of that that's around four to five million people and if all those people need to be hospitalized at once we do not have the capability in any way to deal with that. We yeah. have very, very few beds for people in that condition compared to that number. So social distancing is all about can we reduce the amount of people that have the virus in one specific instance so that when, not if, but when people need to go to the hospital, when they need to be hooked up to an oxygen or to a ventilator to help them breathe mechanically, that those things are available to them. Right. So how do we know when we need to go to the hospital and when we need to just call it ourselves and self-isolate? Great question. Um, Self-isolation happens when you have mild symptoms or none at all. Um, If you've been in contact with anybody with a confirmed case of the virus, you need to self-isolate. The median time for how contagious you are at this point is five days. Now, it can be anywhere from two to 14 days, which is a huge number, a huge difference. And there is some studies at this point that show that you can be contagious uh, after you show symptoms. So after the symptoms have subsided. Um, But what happens when your symptoms get worse? Uh, You need to call your doctor, not go to the ER, uh, call your doctor. The ER, ER is probably the most dangerous place you can go to because it's going to be full of other people that may or may not have the virus. Um, so in order to not overwhelm uh, and allow the ER room to be used for people who have actual emergencies, you want to call your doctor who will then give you uh, an okay or a no for going to the hospital. Now, that would be the procedure that's recommended by public health. There have been a couple of people, too, who have said to me, well, don't I want to get sick so that I build up immunity to this so that it's not as big of a deal? Is that actually a good idea? <laughs> Is that actually a legit thing to do or want to do? You Logically... If, for us logical thinkers, it actually makes sense to catch the virus immediately you know, because there is um, room in hospitals and other places right now. 
that is obviously a very selfish and weird way of thinking. And so I wouldn't suggest that actually. Uh, the other thing is you're taking a little bit of a chance because the amount of medical understanding of this virus is still growing. And so catching it later buys us more time to understand the virus, to potentially come up with more cure or at least a way to reduce symptoms. So in many ways, if you look at the math, you're probably better off catching this later. Um, the other challenging thing about this virus though, is that though that group of symptoms uh, or that percentage of people that will have symptoms, this is not a pleasant virus to catch and have symptoms for. Uh, you're going to have people who have mild symptoms, but catch secondary things like pneumonia for sure, which if you've had pneumonia, it's not a lot of fun. Um, you're going to have places, uh, people where you have reduced lung capacity, uh, for potentially years after the virus, uh, that is included in the 10 to 15%. So one out of every 10 people will have lasting implications for the virus. Um, so this is not something that you just in, you know, necessarily sit in bed with for a day or two and then get better. You're going to have symptoms. If you do, you're, it, it's not going to be super pleasant. And the results can end up changing your lifestyle for an indeterminate amount of time. Correct. Yes. So having that can create a bit of fear. And again, that's okay because we should, that's a proper bodily response. We don't want to catch diseases that will hurt us or the potential to hurt us. This is a great response of our brains to say, uh, no, thanks. Um, Eventually, though, many of us, if not all of us, will get it. And so it's all about buying time both for hospitals and for potentially uh, cures and other things to come down the pipe. So I, I know that you've shared some of your frustrations with people who are not necessarily taking it seriously, especially in church and Christian circles, because that those are the circles that we run in right now. Those mm -hmm. are some of the big ones that we are a part of. And they were some of the last ones to say, this is a big deal. We're going to close our doors. Why do you think that is? And how can we communicate the importance and impact this will have on our society and our communities to people who may not be taking it as seriously as we hope they would? In a crisis like this, nobody has too many answers, especially yeah. right off the bat. Um, and many of us Christians are hoping and expecting that our leaders have the right things to say and the right, just the right path forward. And I, in many ways, feel bad for our Christian leaders because something like this catches everybody off guard. Yeah. And they just, it's, how do you respond to this? The, the other question is it brings up theological issues very, very similar to, um, close to 400 years ago during the Black Plague, where theologians wrestled with how does this happen and why does God allow stuff like this? Um, these are questions that didn't have easy answers back then and still don't. And so we're afraid of diving into topics that we haven't fully understood yet. And so, of course, it makes sense that why bother talking about this until there's no other choice? Um, to me, it's a little bit of a missed opportunity, though, for the church to lead out. Because the world is looking for answers and guidance in many ways. And, th and throwing 
there's fear is real, right? Fear, fear is happening to people and to tell people that it's just, you just don't have to worry. Mm-hmm. doesn't actually cut it. Um, so it, for example, 400 years ago, when you have the black plague, when you have churches saying, take communion, that will protect you from the black plague and other things like that. Um, that creates a situation where people have a generation of totally disregarding spirituality altogether because obviously those precautions, those type of things didn't work. And so to me, the danger going forward and the frustration I have is that we try the same tactics that we did 400 years ago. We promise in in any number of words that God is with us and he's going to protect us from this. And then we don't really know what we're saying and there's generations of kids that just are like, what What just happened? Mm-hmm. So that's my fear. Um, but there's hope here. That, and there's such a there's such a opportunity in many ways. This is almost a huge door where I was reading a quote in uh, talking about, um, actually talking about the Spanish flu from 100 years ago. And one Christian writer was saying that we are, um, one step away from renaissance and from ruin. And we're, I feel it very similarly today. Um, so with the, with the Christian church, in many ways, this is a trial run for some of the more important issues coming up. This is an incredibly important issue at this moment and will be for quite some time. But this is not the be-all, end-all issue of all issues. There are tons of other stuff coming up. And this is essentially the church's practice run at tackling these type of things. Are we willing to adjust our theology? Are we willing to expand what our view of love is when love has traditionally looked like getting close in community and being person to person Mm -hmm. and gathering together. And suddenly you turn everything on its head and you say, we got to distance ourselves. We got to, learn how to virtually connect with each other. Like these are things that we are not really practiced for. And, but all of a sudden this giant church experiment is starting and nobody is quite prepared for it. Mm-hmm. You say that there's lots of big things that can be a result of this. What do you see some of the big results being like, for society, for our politics, for our economy. Like you've been watching the news and reading articles and refreshing your feeds constantly for the last like two days. So what do you see the future as after this? Well, there's two questions there. There's one of how does this affect our yes. culture long-term, and the other is what's going to happen next. Sure, answer them separately. Um, what's going to happen next? Of course, take this with a grain of salt, I don't know for sure. Um, the future is uncertain. Um, however, looking at past pandemics and other situations, what you're going to see is total lockdown, essentially, for at least a few weeks. Um, this is going to reduce spread of the virus, Absolutely. In Canada, it's the right call. Um, it's all about essentially reducing the amount of transmission so that our healthcare system can keep up. 
that's priority number one at this point. The reality is, is that 70 to 80% of us are going to get the virus over the next probably year. That's just what's going to happen. Um, what's going to happen is it's going to happen in waves. So the first few weeks here, there's going to be a bunch of people who get it. Then we're all going to start to feel a little bit invulnerable. We're going to start to loosen restrictions. People are going to wonder what the big deal was. There's going to be questions about did the government need to have this response? People are going to lose their jobs and wonder what's happening. So then we're all going to try to return back to normal in a few weeks. And that's going to work for a short time. And then the virus is going to come right back again. And we're going to have to do this all over again. Um, and we're probably going to do that probably three times by the end of the year. Okay. So that's what's going to happen. There's going to be um, some challenges as well. There's going to be some shortages of some products. However, there is nothing to fear on that front. There is not going to be, whatever you've heard, there's not going to be crazy mass shortages and we're not going to have to hoard and hide in our basements, that kind of stuff. Grocery stores aren't going to be closed. You're not going to not have access to food. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that kind of stuff is not on the table. Well, because that's something that I have felt with this in conflicting moments of this is huge, but then also this is not really anything big. Yeah, the, the big impacts that we're going to see, especially in the next year, is that people we know will die. That is the reality of it. Um, that's going to be a challenge uh, for people to walk through. It's going to be a challenge for the church to process funerals when you can't get together for a funeral. How does that happen? Um, it's going to be a challenge when you have other life events like weddings and other things like that that just can't seem to continue at this point the way we've been doing, which is a challenge. But again, life will continue. And in many ways, we'll start to loosen some social restrictions. People will start to get together in smaller groups. Um, family connections will be a bit stronger on the main front. But there's going to be an unfortunate circumstance where the church actually can step in. And that's going to see, you're going to see a um, mixture of responses. So some of us with more privileged situations with better family connections are going to be fine. But those without those things are going to struggle a bit more. And so for us as a church, it's important and to think now about how we're going to help those in need and the vulnerable people around us. Um, whether it's moms with kids, single families, families that are, have um, issues. Imagine suddenly now broken families having to live in the same home for weeks at a time. Like there's there's incredible challenges here yeah. there's elderly people around us that take their lives into their hands when they go grocery shopping so if there's potential ways of helping out there these type of things are going to be reality so you're going to see this mixture and i think this is the challenge for me too is that as we're going to get lulled into a sense of security uh, but that's going to be because of our privilege and so we'll have to be really careful to check that and to help others and to essentially lay down our security aside for the sake of others. Yeah. And you've mentioned that um, a lot of our churches and places of worship will see a change because of the lack of attendees and the lack of momentum. 
so how do you think that we can help support while not being actually physically present there? How can we still create that community of church and being together and and creating that sort of loving environment without being actually in the same physical space as somebody? Yeah, and it, to me, this is the continuation of the great church experiment where, you know, you have 20, 30 years ago, the focus on larger and larger gatherings and more and more spectacle maybe is the wrong word, but the draw for people is um, great music, great community connection all together. And to me, this is the reverse of that, where it's the great experiment of church isolation, <laughs> where it's one-on-one -on -one and it's helping those close to us, whether physically or otherwise. Um, it, this is going to be a big challenge. Uh, it, you're talking about decentralization of church structure really fast, globally at the same time. And there's going to be a lot of confusion. Um, and one of the challenges for church leaders especially is that this this is not just a you're skipping church for a week situation. This is going to be on and off for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, and so to expect that it's just, hey, we're just temporarily holding here. And then we're going back to regular services shortly. To me, that's the great missed opportunity here. Um, there's danger and there's risk, of course, in saying we are just going with a new model on a whim here. Absolutely, there's risk. But to me, it's the churches that end up embracing this early on are the ones that are going to thrive the most by the end of the year, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like... Well, this has been part of my thought process and struggle a little bit too with the whole church and how do we navigate this with the topic of faith and believing for things and praying for things and especially in regards to health and healing and peace and all of that. And how do you balance the trusting God and putting your faith in him with the practical down to earth means of protecting yourself and trusting doctors and knowing what the right thing to do is and taking in the information without it overwhelming you, but without just chalking it up to well, it's just an attack of the enemy or God will protect me. Both of those seem like not great places to stay. But those are the questions that I'm processing and I know that you have too. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not the 100% best theologian on this oh, topic. I know, but that's that's some of the things that mm -hmm. come up, especially when we're talking about a crisis. One of the things that I've enjoyed with my travels, especially with working with Bible societies across the globe and my travels, is how much, first of all, how ridiculous we sound as the West, especially the Western church, where we come with our theology and we come with our big churches and our everything just so. And in a situation like this, we just... 
we look a bit sheepish because it's all the answers that we're seeking, we left them. They're in the history books. They're in the places of poverty along around the world. And in a situation like this, it's kind of the great equalizer where it's like, oh, it's a, it's almost a humbling of what's ha- what we've done and how ill-prepared we are for something like this. But the church throughout history has struggled and thrived in times of crisis. There's, I mean, there's innumerable crises where people have struggled with where's God? What do we do? Where did this come from? And there are so many great questions and conversations that we can dive into. Um, there will be a lot of people in our day and age selling and preaching and talking about this. And it's not all bad. But to me, I'd rather find it from someone who lived it. And one of the one of the striking things is that a lot of the crises that the church went through didn't provide 100% the answers that everyone was looking for. But a lot of times they kick-started a fairly new and innovative direction for the church. So you have after effects of different things. You have the Reformation happening in some ways as a not as a response, but they're all the all the events start to tie together. Um and to me the same thing can happen today, where we don't rush to find an answer, but we rush to uncover the questions and the experiences all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that's something that we should remind ourselves of when we get in that place of fearing for the church is that the church has made it this far and that we are made up of people and we can support people through the crisis as as a church, as a community, without fearing of collapse. Mm-hmm. Through all of your studying and research and learning and tracking with all of this pandemic crisis. What has been one of your greatest concerns? What is, what is at the forefront of your mind? What would you like people to understand the most about this? First of all, I mean, that's real. I'm, but most people have starting to experience that now. I mean, when you take away every single sport known to man, it it hits us where it hurts in many ways in the West. The one thing that I'm seeing people say is in order to keep fear at bay, right, you have to trivialize what you're, what's happening. So you say, it's just the flu, or you say, it's not going to affect me, or things like that. Um, my encouragement is to find a good resource, if you can, about what's really happening. Um, I've seen people knock the news organizations. At this particular moment in time, I find them to be actually rather insightful. Um, I mean, it of course depends, but as a whole, what I'm seeing is that in a time of serious crisis like this, even news anchors other people are being affected and so it's it's real to them as well and they're wanting to get the word across um 
one of the challenges and one of the things I'd like people to know for sure is that our decisions affect those around us more than ever. So if you have people around you with any sort of medical condition, uh, whether you elderly people, um, even people around you with uh, smoking habits or asthma or whatever it may be, you're putting people at risk if you're doing things like getting together in large groups or not wash your hands when you might meet with people, etc. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think now of what else you'd like to say. What other thought processes you want people to um, take away and implement into their lives? Hmm. There, there is something. Uh, we're going to get through this. It's going to be fine. There's, either one of two things will happen. Uh, three. One of three things will happen. Uh, there'll be a vaccine developed, which will probably be in the next 14 to 18 months. That's my guess, which is actually quite a ways away. Uh, the other thing that will happen is that uh, there'll be antiviral drugs that will be developed that will hamper uh, the effects. Uh, the third option will be that it runs its course. We build up immunity as a whole. And then it'll be just a recurring virus that we all live with. And a lot like flu or others. But we'll get through this. The one thing I'd like people to know is that crisis, moments of crisis are not over. In many ways, this is the trial run for crisis in the future. And so to learning to live with crisis is so important. It's more important than trying to get through this. Um, because there, like, there are tons of other crises coming up. In many ways, um, environmental crisis, this is the training ground for this. Are we willing to step aside and give up our lifestyle and give up our selfish ideas of what life should look like for the sake of those that are vulnerable and needy around us? And so that's what actually gives me the greatest hope at this moment is that when push comes to shove, it seems like we can do it. Mm, yeah. You even said that earlier today, you're saying that I think we're more capable of dealing with the yeah climate crisis than we think we are. Absolutely. And we're able to s stop a lot of our lifestyle habits that we thought before we couldn't. Yeah. And even with the church, too, in many ways, the church, we act in a certain way because it's the way it always has been. But in a situation like this, the, the church can adapt, mm -hmm. can adapt in times of crisis and thrive. And that doesn't mean that you're somehow weak because you do that. That's right. right. Yeah. In many ways, it's. It, this is this is a blueprint for can the church lead out in, in terms of crisis? Can it say we're the first people on the lines to change what we're doing in order to love the people around us the most? Um, but it's a hard bargain because it's you're saying as a church we're willing to give up what we have for someone who may never repay us. But isn't that kind of the core of Christianity in a nutshell too? where we are giving up of what we have, our security, safety, um, for the sake of another that we that may or may not ever 
believe. That's what Jesus, in many ways, did for us. And so, of course, we should be doing it for others. So to me, it's this is this is the grand moment, at least in our lives, in the annals of history, it's a minor blip, of course. But for us, this is a huge moment mm-hmm. of how will we respond? How will we treat those around us? Why are we willing to give up personal safety, security, privacy, everything else? Um, give up our culture of getting in a car and doing whatever we want or traveling across the globe for pleasure? Are we willing to give all this up for the sake of somebody that we may never come in contact with? Right. And I like what you have been processing lately. It's a little bit of a different topic, but I feel like it fits here with the progression of love over time, over history, with it being an ordered and organized love and moving to um, something that now is an empathetic, caring kind of love. And how we see, can see people in a different way and put ourselves in their situation, like especially for wanting to protect people if we are infected and thinking if I were in their situation, how would I want to be treated? How would I want people to respond and react to me and functioning out of that instead of what do I want for myself? Yeah, that's that's the razor edge here where looking out for those around you sometimes actually has the benefit of looking out for yourself as well. Um, but yes, you're right. It's This is a great opportunity to practice the changing form of love where us as a Western church uh, have primarily focused on love being... Um, defined as a reduction of suffering. And now as the church moves into a new form of love or a different form of love, uh, which is empathy, uh, allowing yourself to be with and changed by someone. This is a fantastic way to do that. We're being changed by, in this case, people that we're not even in contact physically with, Mm -hmm. but we're being changed just by what they're going through. Uh, We may not be able to reduce suffering for them in many ways. This virus is a piece of suffering that we will not be able to ultimately prevent. Um, We can mitigate it as best we can. But there's going to be, in many ways after this, a huge way of processing with people, sitting with them, grieving with them for what life they lost, grieving with them for the people that they've lost in their lives, the jobs, the other things like that. Um, It's going to be a great way for the church to step in and say, okay, we're not here to reduce suffering. We're here to sit with you in it and allow ourselves as the church to be changed by those experiences. Yeah, and I think that is one of the big realizations that I have come to through this is that I am now required to face suffering head on and to sit with that and to not be afraid of grief and to not be afraid of other people's grief because 
I haven't had a lot of experiences with that and I haven't necessarily been taught how to do that well. And so now that we may be going through this and having to do this with other people makes it very real. And yeah, I feel like if the church and if I can be that support for people through this time of grief for whatever it may be then that is learning to love people well and that will be the best way of being at the forefront of this is to support people through what happens after yeah definitely to sum up yeah we need to face our fear head on and not overcome it, but allow ourselves to live with it and use it to prompt us to then grieve and to think and to process and to wonder and to reflect. And when we do that, we uh, we become changed and then we are able to then help others do the same. Because the process isn't bad. Process is not bad in many ways. This moment of communal silence in many ways, many of us will be locked at home, is a great invitation to really reflect on what's happening, reflect on our, on our own fears, and reflect on our own way of living, mm-hmm. and wonder and grow from there. Yeah, so as we're bringing this to a close, what are a couple of... First, practical things that we can do. And then what are some final words of hope that you have for people who may have fear of what the future holds? Yeah, the one thing I'd absolutely recommend is for the next few weeks, uh, draw a chart, essentially. A chart of all the people that you are going to be coming in contact with. And then just think about each one of them. And essentially figure out is it worth it to have that connection at this point physically depending on their status and it's up to you to decide that of course but for example um, we have elderly grandparents other parents other people like that where eventually the risk is not worth it and the risk goes both ways and so at least having that prepared will help you in those awkward times where the relationship, there's a difference there. Um, so at, at least just writing that down and making that clear. The other thing I would do is definitely think about the people close to you physically. Um, there are many seniors, elderly people in our society, people that live on their own. Um, and essentially, if we can look to adopt someone around us and just, again, this is a weird situation because it requires you to distance yourself physically from them for their own safety. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, they will need assistance, whether it's um, picking up groceries or just checking on how they're doing mentally or other things like that. And so if we can each take someone in our neighborhood, that's a fantastic way of uh, preventing, but also then maintaining our neighborhood, which is fantastic. The, the other thing I would recommend, if you're looking for more information on the topic, um, flattenthecurve.com is a fantastic resource at this point. Um, 
It's written by a doctor and uh, along with another input from a number of different countries as well. That's a great resource at this point. And words of hope. Words of hope. I haven't had those for a while. <laughs> That's what I asked. No, the... Um, if we can walk through this as a faith community and we can do this well, I have great hope for the next 20, 30 years, 50 years. Absolutely. Um, if we're able to understand that spirituality encompasses all forms in all areas of life, mm-hmm. that our spirituality is how we do everything, how we decide our travel, how we take care of the environment around us, how we treat physical virus symptoms, all this together, if we realize that as a church community, suddenly the door is open for reaching the world in many ways. We are then equipped to help and be the hands and feet that Jesus wanted us to be. So all signs point to we're just getting started. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing some of your thoughts. I appreciate you (laughs) opening up about that and letting people know what's going on in the world. Do you have further thoughts that you would like to share? No, that's about it. Um, Again, encourage people, as always, to do their own research, to look look up things, um, and to really process if you can. And think, embrace the fear, and then allow it to change and propel you forward well there you have it a small glimpse into the endless thoughts god has on our current crisis this is a big deal and humanity is learning a new way of being and loving through this may we embrace the fear and not shy away from it may we be at the forefront of empathy and compassion and may we be smart and well-informed if you have any questions or comments on this episode or need further clarification on anything you've heard please don't hesitate to reach out in person or contact us at activelistening.life at gmail.com. Additional links and articles are listed in the show notes. You can also find us on Instagram, and reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Thanks for listening. <laughs>